Hey guys, welcome back to Vanilla Filtered. I'm Matt Brown. This is Dr. Andrew Bello. And today's subject is how to not hate dental insurance. Oh, uh, yeah. Dr. Bello is going to talk about this from a frontline's point of view in a practice. I happen to have a serious dislike for the dental insurance industry. And, it's going to um, be a spicy episode, Matt. I'm it, excited. it is. It is because I, I really despise it, man. I hate seeing poor front desk girls struggling to get insurance verifications and how hard they make the, the human job harder in the practice. I think you found a way to kind of, honestly, from at least something I said in the military a lot, embrace the suck and make it work for you. So, yes. and I think, I think that's something that like, honestly, even I have to do a lot of times I get frustrated with things in my life like that. And I think dentists have to look at it and say, Hey, this is a necessary evil. So how do we embrace it, make it better and have it work for us. Right. So I, I'm let Dr. I Val kind of that saying embrace the suck, by the way, I listen, I, there's, there's very few places in dental where embrace the suck applies more than insurance. Yeah. It, it is the definition of embrace the suck in dental. So I want to hear uh, Dr. Vallow. Why don't you start off on, you know, how do you, how do you fall in love with dental insurance? It's, it's like falling in love with a cactus. I don't know how you do it, but tell me how you find a way to do that. I'll say, Matt, I, I've got like a love hate with dental insurance, which I also have a love hate with Facebook, but you know, that's another time, another place. To me, dental insurance is a necessary evil if you want to quickly grow general startup practices. And I say general because my implant office, we are not networked with a single insurance plan and things are just totally different there. But for your average general practice, the way that you grow that practice quickly is you bring in a bunch of new patients you know, who are looking for a dental home. They're looking for cleanings and you know, exams and maybe an occasional treatment here and there. Um, and a lot of them have dental insurance and a lot of them want to maximize their benefits. So when I was first planning my first startup, I was teetering between the ideas of trying to do a fee-for-service startup versus networking with insurances. I had some conversations. I talked to my consultants you know, at Ideal Practices. Uh, I did some soul searching. And at the end of the day, I decided, you know, what was my goal? My goal was I want to grow a startup into a full-fledged practice as quickly as possible. I wanted to ha go from one to three hygienists as quickly as possible. I wanted to have a full-time hygienist from the start. And I wanted to bring on an associate dentist because I always knew that I never wanted to be just a solo practitioner. I wanted to have a group practice. I wanted the flexibility and freedom that, you know, that provides and doing a startup practice, if you try to do it without taking dental insurance, and I'm not saying it's impossible because I know there are docs that have done it, but you know, especially if you're in a competitive area and you want to grow a startup practice very quickly into a full-fledged group practice, it is extremely challenging to do that by not networking with dental insurance. So you know, at that point in time, I decided that I was going to dive in all the way and I was just going to say, you know what, we're going to network with just about every possible PPO plan out there. Now we don't take Medicaid, we don't take HMOs. At the other end, it can be challenging to run a successful profitable practice with those insurances. Not that there aren't people that do that too. But for me, I said, you know, we're not going to do that, but we are going to be a network with the vast majority of the PPOs so that we really lower the barriers to the vast majority of people out there to come in and be a new patient at our practice. So then my next goal was, how can we make dental insurance suck less? And that's what we're going to get into in this episode. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's one of those things that's like this is like two camps in dental right now. That is like fee for service versus insurance based practice, right? And I, I kind of think there's a balance, right? I think one thing docs don't realize is where the conversation comes from is what's going to fuel the growth of my practice, 
when you're a startup or, or a new acquisition buyer or something, you're like, there's a fear that drives your decisions. And the fear is no patience versus patience. And there's a, there's a concept of like fee-for-service patients are few and far between, and insurance patients are plentiful, right? That's, that's kind of the underlying psychology of that. So one thing I think a lot of dentists don't realize, and a lot of marketers never talk about this, I think you'll attest this as I say it, is if you're doing proper, good, aggressive marketing, the majority of those patients will end up being fee-for-service. And your insurance will end up driving a lot of its own traffic because what happens is when an insurance patient decides where they go, is when they're sitting down with an HR professional and they pick a provider off a list of local providers that are in network. It's very hard to get ahead of that process. Here's what I'll say about that, Matt. I think you're definitely right in a sense. What, what I think is really true is that attracting patients that have like PPO dental insurances is done more so with your reputation in the community, with internal referrals, yes. uh, with your Google reviews, because most of those patients already have a dentist. If they have insurance, they want to use it. So if they're a new patient to you, they probably have been going somewhere else and they're less likely to respond to an advertisement, especially like, you know, a, an advertisement of a deal or a sale or something well, like that. They're also and most isolated. patients aren't going to leave their dentist, even for something like free whitening. You know, most people are, you know, like, yeah, maybe they want it, but like, if they've already gone somewhere and they're relatively happy, they're probably not going to go try a new dentist just to get the free whitening. So most of those patients, they're coming to us because their friend, their family member said, Hey, my dentist is really great. You know, I don't know if you're happy with yours or I know that you said you had an issue or whatever, you should come try them. And then they come see us because we take their insurance and we keep the barriers low versus your fee for service patients that often aren't seeing a dentist. So, you know, the free whitening, they're they're free like, oh, yeah. I haven't had a cleaning in the last three years. I really need one anyways. Maybe this is worth it. I can get the free whitening. It's only $98 special, whatever it is. Or, you know, they're having a problem. They have a toothache or they know that they need, you know, a smile makeover or something like that because they haven't been to the dentist in a long time. So I, I do agree with you in that sense. I do think good marketing traditionally attracts more fee-for-service patients than PPO patients. However, by accepting PPOs, you open yourself up to uh, more referrals, both from internal as well as just your general branding, reputation, Google reviews, things like that. Yeah, and, and to be clear, a lot of times the insurance patients are confined in a like community where they all work together, they all have the insurances that are the same, the same PPO plan, and someone says to someone else, hey, I go to this dentist over there, and it's been awesome, you should, should try that. So a lot of times it's all in a referral, it's all the process you're about with reputation, right? So, so to get off of the – so easy on the marketing subject, let's, let's get on the, the grassroots of where the suck is in dentistry, right, if for dental yep. insurance now. The, the suck in my perception is I don't spend as much time in practices as you do, but I do travel the country, and I spend a lot of time in practices. And it is heart-wrenching for me to watch front desk staff and other professionals in the practice struggle with navigating this stuff and processes and systems for handling it and even credentialing and even watching docs who buy practices get credentialed or docs who do startups start getting credentialed, like it, it literally is, it's like dealing with the IRS of healthcare in some ways. They just make it hard. Yeah. So, so let's, let's get into like that, how you embrace the suck and turn around and, and polish a turd. So the, the first part about dental insurances that is not fun uh, is the reimbursement usually. And I'll tell you, 
I have personally found, you know, and, and again, I, as I've mentioned before, we intentionally set our fees at like the 95th percentile. So we have a little bit more write-offs maybe than the average practice, but some of these insurance plans, you're writing off like 70% on certain procedures. I mean, like it, some of these PPOs, Delta, it, it can be <laughs> pretty much as bad as uh, like taking like Medicaid. And the crazy part is most patients don't realize that they think, Oh doc, you're going to love my insurance. I've got great insurance. And you're thinking like, well, it's great for the patient. It's really not great for the practice. So, you know, the, the first thing is how can we make insurance reimbursements better? You know, we're never going to get a hundred percent as an in-network provider, but you know, how can we maybe make it 75% or 80% or something like that? Because I'll tell you what, I'll often, I've, I've got membership plans where, you know, we've done 15 to 25% off. I'll run specials or we do 20% off or 25% off. I've set my, you know, my fees at the point where, you know, I can stomach a 20%, 20, 20, even 25% write off and still be very profitable, but it's very tough to do it when it's a 50% write off, 60% write off, 70% write off. And so you wait for the money. Right. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's true too. But you know, just, just the, the amount that we're getting reimbursed, how do we increase that reimbursement? And so when I first started my first flagship practice, you know, we, I decided to do insurance fee negotiations. We did it through PPO profits, you know, it was Vivix great company. company. It is a great company. I, great you know, company. uh, you know, once again, guys, as we've told you before, we don't have any sponsors on this show. Uh, I will talk about different services I've used one, you know, ones that I've liked doing my best not to throw companies under the bus here, you know, as much as possible. But if I had a good experience, like I'll let you guys know about it. I I've used PPO profits for both of my, uh, general practices. Now, both of my startups, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've used their ongoing services where they basically, I've got one insurance coordinator at the office and she does like these check-ins with them, uh, to try to see if there's any areas we want to try to renegotiate again or, or any, plans we want to pick up under a different umbrella and things like that. So I've had really good experiences. I think it's, it's really increased our reimbursements from insurances a lot for those that don't know anything about, you know, how insurance fee negotiations work. Basically the, the way that it typically works there, there are certain plans that first of all, there's certain plans that won't negotiate at all. So you've got plans like Delta in some States. I do think Delta will negotiate to some extent in Florida, 100%, they will not. And at first I did not believe PPO profits when they told me that. So I got on the phone myself and I called Delta <laughs> and I, I and this was you saying this this, <laughs> call it Delta. Sorry, PPO profits guy. This, totally this was, this was actually uh, maybe like a year and a half into practice. So I'd already used them for a while. And then I said, I said, guys, like we really should try to negotiate. Like I've got a few offices now, like we've been open for a while. We've got a lot of Delta patients. Like we should see if they'll negotiate. And you know, they were like, I'm sorry, you're in Florida. They're not going to negotiate. I was like, okay, well, I, I don't like taking no for an answer. So I was like, like, what's the best number to call? And so they gave me like Friday relations, whatever. <laughs> so I, I call this number and I'm like, Hey, uh, this is, you know, Dr. Vallow. I've got a few practices. We're credential with you guys. So here's the thing. You guys are our lowest paying insurance. And, uh, some of my write-offs are like 70%. I'm actually losing money sometimes when patients come to see me. So unfortunately I need to go out of network. Can you tell me like the process for that? Here's me expecting like, oh, they're, you know, like any other company, they're going to, they don't want to lose me. They're going to, oh, hold on, hold on. Like, let's, let's, let's see if we can give you an increase or let's see this. Nope. The lady just totally nonchalantly was like, okay, so the way to go on a network is you do this and then you do that and like, blah, blah, blah. She's like, did you need anything else today? And I'm like, um, 
Well, you know, I, I really, <laughs> I'd really like to try to find a way to stay in network. I, you know, if, I mean, if you guys could like negotiate it all on the fees, maybe I'd consider sticking around for my offices. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm opening more offices. Like I'm a growing group. And she's like, Oh yeah, no, like we don't, we don't negotiate. Like the fees are what they are. And I was just like, all right, goodbye. <laughs> so, you know, so kind, kind of preference, everything else guys, you know, unfortunately there are certain plans and it's mainly Delta. Delta is like the main one that one there, you know, they're the Goliath or the gorilla. So unfortunately this episode is not about how to make Delta dental suck less. Um, but you know, other insurance plans, most of them will negotiate and most of them will negotiate uh, under umbrella plans. So there are certain plans, if you've heard of things like, like Carrington or uh, Connection Dental, those are our two main umbrella plans. Uh, the vast majority of our PPO plans were picked up under those umbrellas. And each of these umbrellas has different fee schedules. And, you know, depending on, you know, how you negotiate, who you negotiate through, through who's negotiating for you can depend on which fee schedule you get with these umbrella plans. So, you know, what I can tell you, Connection Dental is our best currently our best paying uh, umbrella plan. We've got a number of insurances under there. In our area, I think their fees are very competitive. I think for a crown alone, like no buildup, we're getting over $1,200. So versus Delta, which is I think like 680 or something like that. So they're basically paying double. So, you know, the, the first way that you can, you know, actually enjoy dental insurance a little bit more is to negotiate the fees to pick up these umbrella plans. I, I've had a lot of dentists ask me, like, couldn't you just do all this yourself? I might be able to, but I'll tell you what, guys, it's, it's pretty complex figuring out all these different things and which umbrellas to go with and which plans to pick up through which umbrellas. And not to mention, I don't have any clout with any of these uh, companies. So, you know, if, if, and, and there, there are other companies that negotiate fees too. I just haven't personally used any of them. I think there's like unlock the PPO. Um, and I think there's a couple other ones, but I would definitely recommend checking them out. Um, if you haven't already started your, opened your startup and you haven't credentialed with insurance yet, you should definitely do this before opening your startup. Just be aware it takes time. I mean, just credentialing can take a few months, but the negotiation process as well, some of the companies can drag it out. So you want to leave yourself like at least six months to get these negotiations and credentialing done. Minimum of six months. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I mean, I, seriously, at least. This is, yeah. this is something you want to do early on. Now, I think you have to have a lease signed before you can start this process with insurance companies. So I do think that's something you have to do first, but as soon as your lease is signed, you want to start negotiating. So I would, I mean, even before signing the lease, I would start talking to some of these companies, um, you know, do some interviews, try to figure out, you know, who you may want to use, but I, I highly recommend negotiating your fees and I highly recommend using a good company to do that. The ROI on that is massive. I mean, you know, for, what what you spend on these fee negotiations, you know, a few thousand dollars, what I think it was maybe around 5,000 or something like that. But what you spend on that versus the long-term increase in revenue from all these increased insurance reimbursements, it's a no, it's a no I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. Like no, no -brainer. questions asked, 100%, you should do this and you'll thank me that you did. So I think that's that's probably the first thing. And then, you know, with those, continue to monitor the insurances that you take you know, I, again, I, I do kind of this ongoing thing with PPO profits where we continue to kind of like monitor and we've renegotiated some fees, you know, again, since we opened and, and gotten some increases That's actually how we got in connection dental. That wasn't one we were originally in. So we added our new best fee schedule when we credential with them later on. So do it in the beginning and then continue to look at it. If you're an existing practice, you've been open for a few years, 
I think after two years, most insurances will allow you to renegotiate. So I would, that's a good time to start looking into this. The other thing that you can do at this end, you know, as your practice gets bigger, you can start considering dropping some of your lowest paying plans. So, you know, again, this is not an episode about going fee for service, you know, that there may be a time and a place where that makes sense for your practice. But, you know, even in the early going, as you start to build a recall system, you know, what I would do first is I would max out what you want to do in that space. You know, whether that's one doc, two docs, you know, three hygienists, four hygienists, whatever it is, get that space to the point where it's pretty much maxed out. Your hygiene's booking out, you know, maybe a couple months, you're having trouble getting patients in. And then at that point in time, that's probably the time to look at like, okay, Delta Dental or whatever plan is the lowest reimbursing one. Maybe it's time to drop this plan. So I, I don't recommend starting off the bat without networking with insurances, you know, even Delta as much as, you know, I, I have this maybe disdain for them because I lose money sometimes seeing their patients, but they've still allowed my practice to grow quickly. We, you know, we do have a lot of patients that come in with Delta. They leave us good reviews. We provide a great experience. They refer patients to us. And the hope is that we build long-term relationships. And even when it comes time to go out and network with Delta, they can still use their insurance. They can still come to us. Yes, so the, benefits. The, the, the hope is that we retain, you know, a good portion of those patients at that point in time. But if you start out of network with an insurance, it's really hard to get new patients with that insurance to come in. So, you know, my recommendation, try to network with all the PPOs you can negotiate all the ones you can use a great company to do that. And then as your practice grows, you know, maybe that's the time to start looking at those low reimbursing plans and maybe it's time to drop one. And I wouldn't drop all of them at once. I would, I would start with the lowest one and, and kind of evaluate how that goes before you, you drop other ones. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the first part of this conversation, Matt, you have anything to add or any thoughts yeah, on I think, I think when it comes to, so I've helped, I've helped, I mean, like I've helped a lot of practices go completely fever service. My, my uncle's practice was fever service wherever God, he just made it really good at fever service. I think one thing you said really important is to drop the insurances incrementally. And there's actually a part that people don't think about. Everyone thinks there's going to be like this giant exodus of patients, which I honestly find isn't very common unless your experience really sucks in the practice, and the only thing tying them to the practice is insurance loyalty. But the real reason to incrementally do it is you have to give your team practice at having those conversations explain that scenario. So yeah. if you cut them all at once, your team's not good at it yet, that inadvertently can create a mass exodus because they won't be good at explaining it. If, if you cut it intelligently over a time period, that gives your team time to get very good at handling that conversation and, and get better at retaining those patients. So a lot of times we think like, oh, we don't want to cut them all at once because the exits will be so big. Well, the real reason to not do it is to let your team get good at handling that conversation. This is a hard conversation for a team member. Like, hey, we're not in network anymore. You need out-of-network benefits. This is what your out-of-pocket is. This is how this transaction works now. That takes practice to get proficient at that. Yeah. And you have to take that into account when you're cutting these. Like if you're going to cut... Sometimes the lowest fee schedule is one to look at. I think when you're cutting, look at the lowest population amount, right? Yeah. So if you have one that's really low population amount and it's a low fee schedule also, let's cut there because the impact is least. And right. let's give that as the practice round for our team to get good at it before we cut the one that might have those lowest fee schedule but also have the highest population amount. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, if, if you've got multiple plans that are kind of near the bottom, maybe start with the smallest one. Now that said, I, I do hear that like, oh, start, you know, if you're cutting insurances, start with the lowest population. But like, if my lowest population is one of my best paying plans, I don't want to cut that plan. Like no, no, in all, in all, in all honesty, with low. 
if, you know, some of our best paying plans, you know, under connection in Carrington is as long as they continue to have good reimbursements, I may never cut them. You know, even if we reach capacity, because again, even with our non-insurance patients, uh, you know, they're typically on a membership plan where they're getting discounts, you know, anyways. It, it ends up, if you get 70% of UCR fee, it ends up colliding with what your membership program is anyway. And, same, and people it's want to margin. use their insurance. So, you know, yeah. if, if you've got well-reimbursing insurances that people are coming in with, it's easier to get them to say yes to treatment if they have insurance and if they're on the membership plan. So, I mean, I think there's a time and place for insurance. And, and I think if you do it right, it doesn't have to suck as much. The second part of this conversation is just all of the red tape all of the added work that comes with, you know, taking insurances. And so the first part of that's credentialing and, and, you know, we use PPO profits to both negotiate and credential. It's a package deal. So that, you know, took all that off our plates, but there's a lot of like, once you're credentialed, there's a lot of day to day that goes into it. And, you know, we have another episode that talks about how to get 250 new patients a month. Well, imagine if you are in network with insurances and you've got a lot of insurance patients and you're seeing 250 new patients a month, how many verifications you have to do, how many claims you have to do. And there was a period of time where we did not outsource any of that. I did not have a big enough team to handle that. And my front office was the wild west. It was total chaos. And I feel very bad for the people that were up there at that point in time, because I now realize how insane that was. So, you know, about maybe a year and a half ago, I realized, Hey, we really need some help with this insurance stuff. And so I found a company and I started using them and we use them for a little while and they did a pretty good job. We use them for insurance verification as well as insurance billing and like both, both sending claims and posting claims. So they basically from the insurance side, they did just about everything. And then I had one insurance like coordinator, one person in the office focused on insurance. And she was like our point player that worked with this outsourcing company and made sure that things were going well. And I mean, there's still other things you've got to do in the office, but they were taking a lot of the heavy lifting off her plate, making it easier for her to handle the volume of patients that were coming in. Now I said the company, you know, did a great job, but I, you know, I, this year, earlier this year, about six months ago, I did a deep dive into our offices overhead. I started looking at, you know, all of our recurring monthly costs. I dove through our credit card statements or our bank statements. And I was trying to figure out, you know, like, hey, you know, we're a very successful, this is my flagship office mainly I was looking at, but we're a very successful office. You know, we went from startup practice, you know, with zero patients in April of 2021. And in 2023, you know, we're on pace to do 2.75 million. So things are going well, but, you know, I still felt like we can get our overhead down a little bit lower. So I was looking at everything. And one thing that really caught my eye is, you know, one of these services that I'm using every month are insurance outsourcing. Uh, was costing me close to $6,000 a month, most months. And, you know, the reason for that is all those verifications add up. I believe we were paying $7 and 50 cents a verification or something like that. All of these claims, all of the insurance billing added up. We were getting charged, I think like a flat 4.5 or 4.2 or something like that percent. And there were some months we were doing a hundred thousand dollars in insurance revenue. So that billing alone could be, you know, four grand that we were paying. Um, on top of all the verifications that we were paying for. So I, you know, I said, Hey, I, I don't think we can bring this all in house. I mean, without adding, you know, at least one or two other team members, there's the added salary cost of doing that. And we physically ran out of space in my practice I and mean, we've got a seven op practice. I sacrificed some of the space in the admin areas to make room for the seven ops. And like, we've literally maxed out the number of team members we can have physically in my office. So I said, bringing it in-house is not really an option. 
So I started looking for other companies that were doing the same thing that might be a little bit more competitively priced. At the same time, I had a conversation with this company to see like, hey guys, you know, I, I like working with you. You're doing a pretty good job, but like six grand a month is just too much. Like I'm, I'm spending too much. My office is growing. You know, is, is there any way that we can talk about negotiating some better, you know, service fees? And, you know, they, they heard me out. They talked to me. They offered me a, a really small reduction, but it, it wasn't going to make a significant difference. And I said, you know, this is, I, this is really just adding too much to my overhead every month. So I found another company. We started using them three or four months ago now. Um, that company is called Lightspeed. Uh, it's, it's been a, uh, a very good transition. Uh, like any transition, you know, it took some time. You know, we had to get them kind of on board with how we do everything with our insurances. There were some small hiccups along the way, but I will say the owners of the company have been very responsive to any issues we've had. They, they, the One of the owners basically is on calls with my insurance coordinator once every week or two, just kind of checking in, making sure that everything's going well. Uh, the company is actually owned by a dentist who had built up a group of practices and, and then kind of made this for his small DSO. And, and now, uh, you know, he's out, you know, using it to outsource to other businesses. He's already sold his, his dental practices. And they're, when I had the conversation with them about fees, their fee structure was just so much better than the last company I was at. I realized, you know, very quickly, it was going to at least cut my costs in half for my insurance outsourcing. So at that point in time, I said, you know what, it's worth a try. Like, let's check it out. Let's see what happens. And it's, it's actually has reduced my cost by more than 50% from what I was paying with this other company. So, you know, I've, I've talked about abundance mindset. I've talked about, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, you've got to spend money to make money and, and I'm hundred percent behind that, but I'm also at the same page. If you can, if there's a service, you know, or something where you can save significant money and get similar quality of the same service, I mean, you've got to do that. It's just, it's being a smart business owner. You know, we, we do the same thing with our, you know, when we, when we buy equipment, we do the same thing when we, uh, we have buying groups, you know, I'm, I'm in DSI, DSN buying group, dental whale buying group for our supplies. I mean, we, we save like 40% a lot of times on, on supplies just from being part of the buying group. So You've got to be willing to spend money to make money, but you've also got to be smart about how you spend money and you've got to find ways to save money that aren't cutting corners. This is one of those ways for me. So getting into how this whole process kind of works, my team or whoever schedules the patients. So I have a call center that, you know, a lot of times schedules patients or patients get scheduled online. Whoever's scheduling the appointment takes the patient's insurance information, puts it into their chart. And then I think like three days before each, you know, appointment, the team at Lightspeed will go through everything. They'll go through the schedule. They'll find any patients that have insurance information in there. They'll do a full breakdown for new patients. They'll do the more basic breakdown, just making sure everything's still the same for existing patients. And then I've actually, uh, I've, I have a virtual assistant as well. I talked about how I ran out of space in my office. So I, I have a virtual assistant. Uh, who's actually based in Pakistan. Uh, she's amazing. She was a dentist there uh, and ended up joining our office as a virtual assistant. But she goes through the night before and double checks every single patient to make sure that everyone's got insurance verified. She also does things like making sure all the correct codes are attached to appointments. She, she basically does a schedule optimization for us every night. And anybody that doesn't have insurance verified, she sends an email to the insurance outsourcing company and then they do a urgent verification to make sure they get verified before that patient comes in the next day. 
So by implementing this system, nobody in my office ever has to be on the phone with insurance companies verifying insurances. And we ensure that every patient that walks in the door has their insurance verified, which makes it a lot easier to close treatment when we can give them accurate, you know, treatment plans with their insurances. So you affordably move the suck to someone yep. else. <laughs> so we moved the suck outside yes. of the office, actually. We moved it halfway across the world, really, right? Yep. And in doing that, we're allowing our teammates to navigate the human terrain more and spend yep. more time being patient-centric yep. than paperwork, detail, plan, insurance, suck-centric, right? So uh, yep. another thing real quick to the docs, there's, there's a, like, a thing in dental of like, I don't want to pay for something, I want to take it in-house. And, and, and there's, there's another side to that that never, never really gets talked about, okay? One thing that's nice about outsourcing is it makes you more dynamic when you have to make adjustments to your business rapidly, right? Yep. Makes you navigate the landscape faster. Also, think about this. If your business suddenly shrinks or if there's some revenue change that's negative, right? And all of a sudden you have this in-house overhead because you thought taking it in-house and not giving someone else the money is a better idea. Think about this. It's easier to cancel a service than it is to fire an employee. Well, I honestly, Matt, I'm going to approach that from the other direction. I, you're okay. right. You're right about that. Like, but I think hey, listen, even, it's got to go, but trying to get rid of an employee is really hard. Even more important than that is if you've got, like, okay, so I, I said, you know, earlier I've got our in house we'll insurance. Left. Yeah. I've got our in house insurance coordinator. And she is incredible. And, and I doubt she's listening to this, but I hope she stays with us for a career because she has made some really, really impactful uh, improvements to our office. She's just a very intelligent person and, and a very hard worker. But my point is, if I have all my eggs in one basket and let's say, you know, you've got this amazing insurance coordinator and then let's say this insurance coordinator takes a new job, decides to move across the country, whatever it is. Now you go, oh crap, like what do I do? You're scrambling to find an insurance coordinator. 100% genocide. And even if you find a good one, now you've got to get them on board. You've got to do all this stuff. Like what's going to happen in your practice during that time? You, your insurance that, AR may that, skyrocket. That transition period is the suck. It is. Oh, you, created the an opportunity. Part. you created an opportunity for the worst suck. So by having you know, a single in-house insurance kind of point of contact, but outsourcing the majority of the insurance work, you know, you've now got a little bit of a safety net where you now you're using a company and, and the chance of that company, you know, just going away uh, is a heck of a lot lower than the chance of an employee leaving you. So, you know, my, my mentality is like, yes, like you can't outsource everything. You've got to have a great internal team, but I think you should outsource as much as possible because then if you have someone that leaves, that's a key team player, it makes that transition a lot easier because a lot of the duties are already outsourced. And, you know, it, it, so yes, I, I think there's, there's multiple facets to why it made sense for us to outsource our insurance. So moving on from that, we have to wrap it up right now. Yep. Um, you know, what, one thing with all that is it's yeah, a, a lot of times these ideas we have, it, it's, it's easier to, to remove the liability to an outside service like that. And that person that is the point person, that's not their sole functionality. They do other things in the practice, but it's easier to manage that outsourced asset than yeah. it is to manage all the functionality of it internally. Yeah. So, so a lot of times it's like, oh, I want to bring it in house and save the money. You're, you're, you're creating you're creating more liability in the practice in the form of personnel changes and all kinds of things 
unless you're a big like 60 unit DSO where you can have centralized insurance services and have a room full of X 20 year office managers that are just pros at this, it really doesn't scale to make sense, in my opinion, to not outsource it. Yeah. I, I just, I'm astonished when I talk to a practice and they're just complaining over and over again about doing this stuff. And I'm like, you know, the services that do this, they do a good job. So we got to wrap this up. I think this yeah, is I a- just, Matt, I'm sorry. I, I always like to kind of summarize what we've talked about. So sure. I'm just going to really quickly go through. So guys, you know, how, how to not hate dental insurance as much. The first and foremost, you've got to negotiate your fees. You've got to try to get the best fee schedules possible. That's huge. We use PPO profits, but there's a lot of companies out there that do it. Uh, I would talk to them and I would, you know, try to find one that's a good fit for you and, and try to make sure that uh, you're utilizing that. You want to give it at least six months before your startup. Or if you're an existing practice after two years, I think typically you can renegotiate. So it may be a good time to call them. And then you want to outsource as much as possible credentialing. You know, we also did that through PPO profits, but the day-to-day, the insurance verification, the billing, uh, you know, all that stuff. Again, there's a ton of companies that do it. I know there's eAssist and, you know, other companies like that. Find a company that's a good fit, but again, pay attention, pay attention to their fee structure because if, if they're charging you, you know, a high percentage of, uh, billing, if they're charging you, you know, a, a high dollar amount per, for each verification, your busy practice, it can add up quickly. Um, so again, we, we switched to light speed. It's been a good experience and, uh, it, it saved us, you know, over 50% of what we were spending on that too. You still may not totally love dental insurance, but I think if you guys employ some of these tactics, uh, yeah, you may but, be able to tolerate a little bit more. Yeah, take the suck out a little bit, right? Make it yeah. tolerable. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today at Dental Unfiltered. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Uh, we have more great contact com- coming to you. We have a bunch of guests lined up. We're going to start getting on the show. So um, have a great day, guys, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. See you next time.